Hey guys, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place to catch up on all your volleyball news, storylines, stats, players, tournaments, and everything else going on in the great world of professional volleyball. Today, finally going to start talking seriously and doing previews about the Olympic qualifying tournaments. A lot of players, a lot of coaches, a lot of federations are saying this is the biggest tournament of the summer, which makes sense as winning one of these pools, one of these mini tournaments, would guarantee a team a spot straight into the Olympics. No more World Cup qualifications, no more continental qualifiers. You would just get to go to Tokyo straight up if you win one of these tournaments. They start August 9th and run until August 11th. And on this podcast and the next couple, I'll give you a detailed breakdown of the scenarios for each team going into the pool so you guys can enjoy watching it just a little bit more. This podcast is going to focus on groups A and B in the tournament as well as a little bit of news. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. So like I said, I'll start with a couple of pieces of smaller news that came out today. The first one being everyone's favorite setter, Said Marouf is signing in China with the Beijing BAIC Motors. A little bit of an interesting choice for him. I'm sure they pay very well, but obviously the competitiveness of the Chinese league might even be lower than the Iranian league. Definitely not at the same level that he was playing at when he was playing in the Italian Super League last season. We know that season didn't go exactly great for Marouf. Really struggled with Siena. They ended up being relegated out of the league. However, this year during the VNL, he did play pretty well, leading Iran to that second place regular round finish. Unfortunately, he kind of reverted back to his Siena self in the VNL Final Six. I wonder which version of Marouf we'll get during this Chinese league season. He will be joining Kevin LaRue on Beijing, which will actually be a really fun combo to watch if we ever end up actually seeing them on TV. Sometimes you can catch the streams of the finals of the Chinese league. But other than that, usually we have to rely on one of the teams playing in the Club World Championships to actually have a good look at them. But given that Shanghai has won the last five Chinese League titles, if we're going to see anyone out of China, it's going to be them. And more, more likely, it's going to be someone from Iran. Usually one of those clubs is the one who ends up getting that qualifying spot for the Club World Championships. But anyway, congrats to Maruf. I feel like he's the first foreign setter to play in China and definitely the first Iranian player, so... It'll be an interesting experiment to be sure. On a less positive note, there was news today that Oniko Versava, the Polish club that came second in the playoffs and second in the regular season in the Plus Liga, their sponsor Oniko is going through serious financial troubles. As far as I can understand, they're like a fuel trading company, kind of a Enron style. So natural gas business apparently not doing too well in Poland. And Oniko is not able to provide the financial support that they thought they were going to be able to when they made a bunch of great signings this summer. I'm actually really disappointed about this move because all these great players that they signed this summer likely going to have to find new teams. It's unclear at this point which players they're going to be able to keep, but a lot of their roster seems to be made up of pretty pricey players, including, now listen to this, Kevin Tilly, Antoine Brizard, Bartosz Folek, Piotr Lukasik, Igor Grobelny, Bram Vandedries, Arthur Udris, Piotr Novakovsky, Andrzej Rona, Damien Wojtacek. So like a lot of good national team level players on that roster. Definitely would have been a title contender 
in the Plus Liga if they had managed to keep that lineup together. It's a pain for the players because they already had their team lined up for next season, already started probably making preparations on living in Warsaw for next season, especially those guys that have been there a couple years, like Antoine Broussard. As well, likely your next contract is not going to be as big as the one they would have gotten with Onico, just because most teams already have their budget and their players filled out, especially the top teams. And we definitely lose a lot of excitement going into this Plus Liga season. And given that this is the second time in less than a year that this has happened, remember last season, Sezeshin made big promises to a lot of players, promising a lot of money, making some big signings, including Bartosz Kurek, Nikolay Penchev, and Nick Hogue. They went under, were not able to play their players. The players had to find other places to play during the season, including, funnily enough, Bartosz Kurek going to uh, Oniko Versava. Watch out, Monza. The Kurek curse might be a real thing. But maybe they're able to find a sponsor at the last minute, maybe cobble together a few of these players, keep some semblance of a competitive lineup. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, these guys are able to land with good teams eventually. So just a couple of pieces of interesting news to tide over you club volleyball fanatics. But don't let that distract you too much from the real stuff going on right now. And that's the Olympic qualifier tournaments. Six pools of four teams in each pool. Mini round robin. Top team from each pool. Automatic berth to the Olympics. I'll go over groups A and B today. Start off with pool A being hosted by Bulgaria. And the four teams are... Brazil, Bulgaria, Egypt, and Puerto Rico. So right off the bat, I think myself and a lot of others would agree that this is probably by far the weakest pool. Brazil, obviously one of the top teams in the world, but after that, it is a steep, significant drop-off. If you didn't know how these pools were formatted, how the, how the rankings work, basically Brazil as the number one seed gets the 12 and 13 seed, as their opponents in the pool and then the last one puerto rico is the 24 seed so it's basically like a serpentine system where countries number one two three four five six are the first seeds and then six and seven are together and that's canada argentina in pool f and then brazil bulgaria egypt as number one 12 and 13 which you know seems like a fair way to do it on paper but as i've explained on the podcast before the ranking system is just very silly how the fivb doles out points There's huge penalties for European countries, especially the second and third tier ones, as there are limited spots to qualify for tournaments like the World Championships and the World Cup, which give lots of ranking points. So let's say you're Serbia and you miss the World Cup because there's a lot of really competitive teams like Poland and Italy and Russia competing for those spots in the World Cup, and then you miss it, and then you're basically your ranking is tanked for the next four years which is why Serbia is ranked 10th in this tournament, even though they are probably one of the six strongest teams. Anyway, I'll try not to rant about that aspect of it too much more in these previews. Just know that the current ranking system basically punishes you for coming from a stronger region, so any European country is going to be underrated. Except, funnily enough, probably the European team in this pool, Bulgaria. Anyway, I'll go team by team, starting with the team I think is going to finish in first, and just go over their big storylines for the event, their likely starting lineups, and anything else interesting going on with the team. So Brazil, we know a bit of a disappointing ending to the Volleyball Nations League, went a pretty crazy 14-1 during the preliminary phase, only losing to Serbia in five sets. They did bring a pretty strong lineup, arguably their strongest lineup, 
for the entire tournament though where as you know if you were following it a lot of teams resting their best players and training in preparation for the upcoming Olympic qualifying tournament. So I'm not sure exactly what Brazil's intentions were bringing all their top players basically traveling across the globe playing in all these Nations League games. We know a commonly cited reason for players to skip part of the tournament is because they say the travel is just horrendously exhausting. You're traveling across time zones, across continents. Just a crazy schedule, especially for a professional athlete. But Brazil was integrating a new player into their lineup, Cuban star outside hitter Yoandri Leal, who spent many years in Brazil with Sada Cruzeiro, so is now able to join the team. He will be joined by outside hitters Ricardo Lucarelli, Douglas Souza, and probably Mauricio Borges as well. For middle blocker, Lucas Satkamp, Isaac Santos, and Flavio, who had an unreal performance at Nations League, one of the best middles in that entire tournament. Mauricio Souza, who has been a big part of Brazil's national team over the last few years, unfortunately is missing the tournament with an injury he sustained earlier on in Nations League. The setter position is still a bit of an interesting question. Obviously, Bruno will almost definitely be playing with the team. However, Cachopa was a huge part of Brazil's Nations League play. And of course, William Arjona, El Mago, is still very much playing at a high level. Whether or not he is in consideration for this tournament, I'm not sure. Brazil hasn't announced their roster as of the recording of this podcast. But he can definitely still play at this high level. And then at the libero position, Mike Reyes and Tales Haas have proven to be a pretty no-brainer combination of liberos. They complement each other very well. However, the FIVB is rumored to have relaxed their roster rules for this tournament. Usually with the 14-man rosters, you need to bring two liberos, or at least dress two liberos, because what some teams have been doing is just dressing some random player as a libero during the tournament. One of the funniest examples of this was during the VNL Finals. John Spira and the Team USA coaching staff only brought Eric Shoji, which makes sense. That's really all you need. And the US doesn't have another strong libero right now. So they ended up just dressing up George Human in a libero uniform. And if you haven't seen or don't know who George Human is, he's like seven foot one, absolutely massive human being. Not a chance he would ever be able to play libero. So clearly the rule that you have to have two liberos on the roster is not being listened to right now. So I can see why the FIVB might as well just relax it. But anyway, Brazil with the team I just described should fairly easily be able to just tear through this pool, Bulgaria being their main opposition. And while there is potential maybe for Bulgaria to get hot for one game, we've seen they're a much better team if they actually get their serves in the court. I just don't think there's any chance that Bulgaria can keep up with Brazil's serve-receive game. And while theoretically, Viktor Yosifov and Svetsalov Gotsev are a pretty perfect combination of guys to limit Brazil's really dangerous middle attack, it doesn't matter quite as much when you have Wallace as an option or Ricardo Lucarelli and Andrew Lille hitting on the wings. Egypt and Puerto Rico shouldn't be any trouble for Brazil to beat. In fact, I was actually thinking that depending on how the schedule lines up, there might be an actual argument for Brazil to play their bench against Puerto Rico. It's pretty risky, especially in a tournament that means so much, but even with Brazil's bench and with Puerto Rico maybe not bringing their best players out to this tournament, the upside, especially if Puerto Rico's the Saturday game, is huge. They would be much more rested for their opponents on Sunday. Unfortunately, the schedule is not released yet for all teams and all pools, so we're not able to see 
if that's actually a factor. Even if it was the Friday game, I could see Brazil resting players, maybe not in the first set, but at least giving other players a look if they completely dominate the first set. Couple of interesting lineup decisions for Brazil. As I mentioned earlier, Cachopa was actually the one setting for most of the game against the Americans in that five setter that Brazil narrowly lost in the Volleyball Nations League semifinals in Chicago. I don't think Cachopa is a better player than Bruno by any means. I imagine that lineup move was maybe to rest Bruno a little bit, make sure he definitely doesn't get injured for this tournament. Maybe he was dealing with a nagging injury at that point. But also Cachopa played a fantastic game, was connecting with the wing hitters really, really well, arguably setting a better ball to Wallace during that tournament too, better ball to Flavio as well. And while he's definitely a bit of a liability on the block, he was actually serving a lot better than I thought he was capable of when I watched him at Sada Cruzeiro. Ultimately though, I think Bruno will definitely be the starter for most of this tournament, although I wouldn't be that surprised if he didn't have the longest leash. Kind of a similar decision to make in the middle. Lucas Sackamp, I think, is a lock. Still one of the best middles in the world. Unbelievable offensive player and defensive player and server. Just an all-around stud middle. But then it gets interesting once you get to the second middle position. On paper and on the stat sheet, Flavio was probably the best middle, arguably, of all of VNL. Hit extremely efficiently, bothered a lot of other attackers with his pinpoint blocking, and probably had the highlight of the tournament when Bruno was running at full speed. Basically just stopped the ball, put it straight up in the air for a completely open Flavio to just absolutely crush the ball on the attack line. Check out my Instagram at 51VB if you want to see that clip because it's really, really cool. But then Isaac Santos is such a great player as well. Huge size, really long arms, really gets up there when blocking, able to close the block even if he's late getting to the pins because his arms are just so long. Very vicious attacker and server too when he gets it going. So it's a good problem to have for Brazil when you have this many talented players. Uh, the biggest problem is choosing which one to play. And the outside is a question too, although less of an extent than the middles and the setter. Doug Souza was a key part of Brazil's second place medal at the World Championships last September. However, I don't think his talent level really compares to Ricardo Lucarelli or Yoandri Leal. However, we have seen Leal struggle with his passing at times. Several times during VNL, he was struggling and had to be subbed out. We saw it quite a few times this year on Lube Civitanova in the Italian Super League. And on paper, Doug Souza is that guy, that third outside who can come in as more of a defensive serve receiver and take some pressure off when they're struggling with that. But he wasn't really passing that well in that role during VNL as well. So we'll see what they decide to do with that because I would only put Doug Souza in if I really have to, if Leal's really struggling with that passing. Otherwise, I would just keep Yoandri in. But overall, if there's any team I had to bet on getting through in this round, it would definitely have to be Brazil. If they get upset, that's that's going to be insane. Highly doubt it happens, though. The second team in the pool and the team that maybe has like a 2% shot of beating Brazil is Bulgaria. And while they have a pretty storied volleyball history and a lot of great players who have played for them over the years, it seems like the federation is going through a bit of a rough patch in terms of organization and talent. It seems like some of the older players are having trouble passing on the torch to the younger players who, in my opinion, have surpassed them in talent. Not talking about guys like Sokolov and Yosefov, who are still some of the best players at their respective positions, but guys like Nikolay Uchikov, uh, the Bratov brothers, and Nikolay Nikolov. 
are no longer going to be with the team and whether that is due to talent levels and just being cut by coach Konstantinov or whether that is because they were being disruptive in team practices and in the locker room tough to say it might have been both probably they were causing a bit of trouble and just honestly not worth keeping around I think guys like the Penchev brothers Yorgi Saganov Alex Grozdanov, Martin Antanasov, Todor Skrimov, and Chernokazev are the next generation of Bulgarian volleyball talents. And regardless of age, I think they give Bulgaria a better chance of winning anyway. So I just named most of the players that I think will be joining the roster playing at home in Bulgaria, but they'll also be joined by Teodor Selparov and Krasimir Georgiev. But we'll see because this is one of the unannounced rosters that I believe is still a little bit up in the air. But if they bring Sokolov and Yosefov, which they definitely should, this will be one of the best blocking teams in the entire tournament. Those guys are really smart blockers, touch really high, are going to cause all sorts of trouble for Brazil, even if they don't end up beating them. The issue is not going to be their defense, especially with Tidor Salparov getting digs behind the big middles. It's going to be their offense. They're pretty easy to serve out of system. Their best passes are probably the Penchev bros, but if you get Bulgaria out of system, remove those huge middles as offensive options, their outsides really struggle to score. You see a lot of 12 for 37 hitting percentages for their opposites and outside hitters, just because they aren't able to do well when they're not running their first tempo and ideal game plan. This will probably be a fatal blow against Brazil. However, I do think they have a pretty good shot at coming second in this pool. I think there are a tier above Egypt, even though there's only one ranking difference between them in the FIVB rankings. And I think they should pretty easily beat Puerto Rico as well. But we do know that Bulgaria, as the hosts, will have a very passionate and energetic home crowd supporting them. That game against Brazil is just going to be crazy amounts of energy. Maybe Todor Skrimov and Sveden Sokolov get really hot from the service line. Maybe they get a couple of momentum-changing blocks. Maybe Brazil is still thinking about that Vienna loss to the USA. Maybe they pull it out. Probably not, though. And in this tournament, getting second doesn't really count for anything. And Bulgaria is almost no chance of qualifying through the European Continental Tournament. Egypt is the third team in the pool, ranked number 13 in the FIVB rankings, which really surprised me. But like I mentioned earlier, African teams tend to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the boost of just going to all these tournaments like the World Cup and the World Championships because you get more points for coming in last place than not even competing. Egypt we saw most recently at the FIVB Challenger Cup where they came in fifth place behind Slovenia, Belarus, Turkey, and Cuba. If you want an idea of where they currently stand in terms of talent level, although they did take both Belarus and Cuba to five sets. The name you would probably recognize if you knew anyone on Egypt, Ahmed Abdelhe, really struggled in that tournament, hit pretty horrendous percentages, missing a lot of shots, making a lot of unforced errors in the games that he did play in. He is about to turn 35 though, so this is usually where guys really start to decline in their athleticism. So it might be worth it for Egypt to look at other options at the opposite position, although that might be pretty risky from their perspective given how big a name he is. However, a bright spot for them in that tournament was middle blocker Mohamed Massoud, who was one of their leading scorers in almost all the games. Like a lot of Egypt's players, if he gets an open look, he absolutely pounds the ball. Very strong attacker when he gets the chance. However, Egypt's reception line didn't always 
put him in the best chance to score, and that's likely to get a lot tougher with the better serves that they'll face from Brazil and Bulgaria. However, Masood also looked like a very competent blocker, so while he's likely to be in the scouting reports, I'm sure a lot of players will be surprised at how frustrating he is as a blocker. However, unlike Bulgaria, all hope is not lost if Egypt does not qualify in this tournament, which they almost definitely won't qualify, but they can still get through to the Olympics in the African Continental Qualification Tournament happening next January. So while I'm sure they are going to try their hardest in this tournament, I'm sure the players are more realistically hoping to qualify through that tournament. And then the fourth team, which I'm not going to spend very much time on, Puerto Rico, the last seeded team participating in the tournament. Probably would have been more fun if it was a team like Germany or Ukraine, because I don't think Puerto Rico really has a chance at beating any of the other teams in their pool. And this is just kind of some individual research and reporting I was doing, but it looks like a lot of their best players are at the Pan American Games taking place in Lima in Peru right now, which is very interesting because that tournament goes up all the way to August 11th. So unless Maurice Torres is going to fly from Peru to Bulgaria right before the tournament, it looks like Puerto Rico might have sent their best team to the Pan American Games because they actually could win it with Argentina, Brazil, Canada, and the USA sending their B teams, obviously, because their A teams are participating in the Olympic qualifiers, which would be a bit disappointing because the Puerto Rico B team in this tournament is going to get killed even harder than the A team would have. So we'll see if that actually ends up being the case or I was going a bit too far into my Instagram research. So that's Group A of the Olympic qualifying tournament, probably the least interesting one overall. Brazil on paper should just stomp the rest of the teams in this pool and qualify for the Olympics, which they deserve to. Group B is a little more interesting. Definitely not the most interesting pools. Those are coming later. But the four teams participating in this one, which is being hosted in the Netherlands, are Team USA, Belgium, the Netherlands, and South Korea. So I'll start with the team that I think has a pretty good shot at winning this pool. The United States of America should be able to take this pool pretty easily. Definitely one of the most talented teams just in terms of roster on paper in the entire world. I guess they did have a slightly disappointing Nations League, losing to Russia, missing a couple starters, but still they beat Brazil on their way to that finals, but they also had a couple of key injuries to some key outside players. So what I think the starting lineup will be for the Americans, which is probably one of the most interesting starting lineup questions in this tournament, are Taylor Sander and Aaron Russell, Max Holt, David Smith in the middle, Matt Anderson at the opposite position, Micah Christensen at setter, and Eric Shoji at libero. And while John Sparrow hasn't officially announced his roster as of the recording of this podcast, based on Instagram research, it looks like they will be joined by Thomas Jaski, TJ DeFalco, Jeffrey Jendrick, Mitch Stahl, Ben Patch, Kawika Shoji, Micah Ma'a, and the most interesting one, Kyle D'Agostino the libero who just graduated from Stanford and had a few rounds of play with Team USA in this year's Volleyball Nations League. But that means that Dustin Wadden probably being phased out of Team USA after a very long career traveling and playing with the team. And while I really enjoyed Dustin Wadden as a person, gotten a lot of good nutrition and mindfulness tips from his Instagram over the years, it was a little surprising that 
He was the second best libero that a country like the USA could produce. He was a really good hustle player on defense, but almost unplayable against the top teams in serve-receive. So looking for the next libero, Kyle D'Agostino seems to be the choice. I also really liked Larry Tuilita, who played on the University of Hawaii last year. And I'm sure looking towards the future, it looks like Gage Worsley of Hawaii is probably the best libero prospect the USA has going forward. And I'm guessing D'Agostino will just be a stopgap until he gets good enough and graduates from university. But anyway, it's unlikely that D'Agostino, Micah Ma'a, George Human, who has also been recorded practicing with the team, unlikely that any of them will get any playing time during this mini tournament, maybe against South Korea. Again, if the USA is feeling extra confident. But the real line of questions for the Americans come A, at the outside hitter position, and also kind of in conjunction with that, the opposite position. So in the VNL final game against Russia, Aaron Russell got benched fairly early on for Garrett Magatutia. Interesting choice. Garrett Magatutia, probably better passer than Aaron Russell, but significantly worse in pretty much every other aspect of volleyball. So whether that was due to just a poor performance or fitness from Russell that game, maybe a nagging injury, maybe Sparov felt that they really, really needed that extra bit of serve receive. Whatever reason, Aaron Russell did not play the rest of that final, which was a fairly controversial move within the world of American men's volleyball. I think that was just a temporary thing against Russia, partly due to Russell not being in top form yet, partly due to Russia's serving just tearing apart the American serve-receive. And even then, I probably wouldn't have done what Spira did. Of course, hindsight is 2020. But he was also forced to play a player like Magadutia, who was overmatched in a game like that, because Thomas Jaski was walking around in a walking boot during the finals, so he was clearly still dealing with some remnants of that knee injury he sustained last summer. Also, TJ DeFalco didn't even travel to Chicago, also due to injuries. So that's really what compromised the Americans, who traditionally have probably the deepest outside hitter roster in the entire world. TJ DeFalco, probably fourth in that depth chart right now, would start on quite a few high-level teams in the world. So I guess that's the biggest question for the Americans going to this tournament. Are TJ DeFalco and Thomas Jaski and Aaron Russell, are they injury-free and ready to play? Realistically, they just need one of those three guys to be good to go, and they have an elite pair of outside hitters, whoever you put next to Taylor Sander, who I think, along with Michael Christensen, are the two best players on Team USA right now. They're both in their athletic primes. They both have enough international experience under their belt to deal with a lot of situations that arise in high-level volleyball. And even though Matt Anderson won MVP of the VNL Finals, even though the USA lost, that was a really weird moment. I know I went over it before, but in hindsight, even stranger than it was at the time. But here's where Anderson comes into all this, because he's played opposite for Team USA for a while now, seems to be his preferred position. The issue is he plays outside hitter for his club team, Zenekazan, in Modena next year. And he's actually probably the USA's third best serve receiver after Taylor Sander and Eric Shoji. So a lot of people have been asking why he can't play outside hitter and, and participate in serve receive, and then Ben Patch play the opposite position. And this is the lineup that was tried in the last set against Russia in the VNL Finals. 
and Matt Anderson did decently as an outside hitter. The issue was Ben Patch, who hit one for four, made several unforced errors within a pretty short amount of time with entering the game, and really struggled to provide value for Team USA. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while since the club season, you know that Ben Patch on Berlin this year was very hit or miss. Sometimes he would look unstoppable, he would look like the most athletic player in volleyball, and sometimes he would look like he just learned to play the week before, and you don't always know what you're getting with him, so... That's a big risk if the USA was to go with that Matt Anderson, that outside, and Ben Patchett opposite lineup. However, I don't think they're going to go with that. I think one of those outside hitters will be healthy, and I think Spira is most likely to go with what his players are most comfortable with, and that's Anderson at opposite, and then one of Aaron Russell, Thomas Shaysky, or TJ DeFalco at outside. And probably the USA's main competition in this pool is Belgium, the Red Dragons, probably the coolest name for a team. And they are led by superstar outside hitter Sam DeRue, who had an incredible season with Zach Sackers and Kajle in the Plus Liga this year, joined by fellow Plus Liga Belgium outside hitter Thomas Rousseau, who had a great run with Katowice this year. And I think we'll fairly easily get the starting nod over Igor Grobelny, the middle blockers Peter Verhees and Simon Vandevoort, both took part in the Italian Super League this season. Verhees actually one of the better middles in the league and will be pretty familiar with matching up against Max Holt. Opposite, they have Bram van de Dries, a huge and high-jumping opposite who was unfortunately part of that Oniko Versava team that likely won't be able to pay him next season. At setter, they have Matthias Valkiers, but also Stein Duulst, who, if you didn't know, one of the most clutch players in volleyball, was a setter for Lube Civitanova last year, was the setter in that run where they beat Zenit Kazan at the Club World Championships after being down 14-9 to in the fifth set, had a few more clutch moments throughout the season, and, and will just be a huge fountain of good karma for Belgium in this tournament, I think. And then at Libero, Louis Stewart and Jelly Ribbons, both pretty solid options that provide more in serve receive than they do in defense, but Ultimately, that's probably more important anyway. So I actually think a lot of people say USA easily going to run away with this pool. But I think there's a little bit of an upset potential, as I mentioned in my last podcast, that Belgium is able to pull through and actually get hot for one game and beat the USA. That doesn't guarantee they'll go through and win the pool by any means because they could easily still lose to the Netherlands. But I think Belgium has a lot of tricky servers that can get the USA out of system, prevent them from running the middles too much. They have some big blockers in Sam Daru, probably the best outside hitter blocker, Peter Verhees, and Bram van de Dries. So I think that matchup will come down to can Belgium come up with enough breakpoints to counter some of the breakpoints that the USA will almost for sure get with their serving and blocking against them as well. Probably Sam Daru will be the main focal point of the offense. As an outside hitter, he was on Zach Zekazers and Kajle. He's used to it. He had games against good teams where he was hitting close to 60%. So he's definitely capable of great offensive performances like that. Definitely has his work cut out for him against the USA and to a lesser extent the Netherlands. But if the USA is unlucky with some of their injuries, I think there is a bit of upset potential in this pool. Whereas a lot of people are just completely writing it off. The third team in the pool and the darling of last year's world championships is the Netherlands. And even though they did better than Belgium at the world championships, 
I do think the talent on this roster is a bit less than the talent on Belgium. Of course, the star player on the Netherlands, opposite Namir Abdelaziz, one of the most dangerous opposites in the Italian Super League for Milano. The former setter was on pace to set the ace record last year before Wilfredo Leon made it impossible for anyone else to try that. He is an incredibly powerful and athletic hitter, gets up very high on his blocks, just overall one of the better opposites in the game of volleyball right now. However, he did struggle a bit more this club season than last club season. He was in and out of the lineup in Milano a bit with injuries, had a few stinker games hitting under 40%, and just generally didn't look completely healthy the entire season. So we'll see if that continues to be the case going into the Olympic qualifiers. A completely healthy Namir Abdelaziz would be close to the best opposite in this pool. Obviously, Matt Anderson's still at the top of the game, but Namir Abdelaziz would almost be a neutralizing force, especially if he can get a serve going and go on the three or four ace run against one of these teams. The rest of the team may not be big names in the world of volleyball like Namir Abdelaziz, but still some very good players. Ties Terhorst, probably the second best player on the team, joined by either Martin Van Garderen or Jais Jorna on the outside. They had a bunch of middles who impressed me during the World Championships, which is kind of cool because a lot of them are not big-time club players. Guys like Michael Parkinson, Thomas Kowalwijen, Jasper Dyfenbach, guys who you don't really hear about during the club season but came up huge in that tournament. A lot of that was also due to setter Dan Van Harlem, who was one of my favorite players to watch during that tournament. Just has another sense for finding the middles, similar to guys like Bruno and TJ Sanders. Doesn't have the all-around game of those guys, but still very impressive. And then at Libero, Dirk Spartans, and maybe one of my favorite names in volleyball, Just Dronkers. So despite the Netherlands having those legendary upsets in the World Championships against Brazil and against France, they haven't had the best summer yet so far in the European Golden League, which I definitely expected them to at least make the finals, if not win outright. They lost to Belarus in the semifinals. Namir Abdelaziz had a classic Namir game, scoring 30 points on 27 for 48 hitting, so 56%. Looks pretty good on paper. However, he got blocked seven times, two attacking errors, and six service errors. So 15 errors for those keeping track at home. He's a great player, super athletic, but he also can have games where even though he looks really good just by his points total, if you look a little bit deeper into the stat sheet and watch the game, you, you, you find out that he gives you a lot but can also take away a lot at times with all his errors. And what the Netherlands needs to hope for is that he has one of those fantastic games where he, he isn't making those errors. He isn't trying to hit right over the top of the tape and hit straight into the block and get stuffed five times in one set. And if Namir is producing, like, who are you going to go to? Teister Horse is, is pretty good, but he's not a super high-usage player. And then either Martin Van Garderen or Yais Jorna are not guys you want to shoulder a lot of the offense. Jorna in that game against Belarus hit 3 for 15 with two blocked attacks and two attacking errors for a negative hitting percentage. So that's exactly the kind of performance they don't need in this super high-pressure situation playing against the USA and playing against Belgium. The Dutch have a great fan base, so playing at home will provide a bit of an advantage, but in my opinion, they are firmly the third most likely team to advance in this pool. Although the game against the Belgium, they'll be pretty hyped because I'm sure there will be a lot of uh, fans from Belgium in the crowd as well. 
And then the last team I'm going to go over in this preview podcast is South Korea, who we haven't really had a glimpse of on the national team stage for a little while. They were relegated after being by far the last place team in the 2018 Volleyball Nations League and did not participate in the 2018 World Championships. I imagine we're going to see a lot of familiar faces in this roster. Jisuk Jung is probably their best player. I'm kind of excited actually to see how he improves because I, I kind of had a pinned as South Korea's best young prospect. Jean Kwang Inge will probably join him on the outside. Moon Sung Min at opposite. Shing Yun Suk, after missing that 2018 summer due to some injuries, will hopefully be joining the team because he is by far their best middle, and middle is a huge area of weakness for Korea during that Volleyball Nations League. They were actually pretty competent on the outsides in their setter and libero, but they just got abused in the middle of the entire tournament. So if Shin Young Suk, who is, I believe, the highest played player in the Korean Kovo V-League, if he joins the team, that will be a huge boost to them. And while I don't think South Korea has any chance of winning this pool against teams like the USA, Netherlands, and Belgium, they're probably one of the toughest out of that last ranked group of teams at the bottom of the pools. They could certainly take a few sets and even a game off of the Netherlands or Belgium and upset their chances of upsetting the US before they even have a chance. This pool should be pretty interesting, a bit more even than a lot of the other pools between the last few teams. USA definitely still the heavy favorites and I'm interested to see how much more news we get regarding the health of their outside hitters because that's a huge question mark for them. But they should definitely win this pool and I hope they do because if they lose and Canada also loses, only one of them will proceed to the Olympics in the North American Continental Qualifier. So those are pools A and B of the Olympic qualifying tournament. Tournament starts on August 9th, goes to August 11th. Lots of games being played over those three days, which is why I'm trying to go in depth and provide some information to you guys a bit early. So we have a bit of time to think about all the matchups before they happen because once they start playing, it's going to be happening all at once. Hope you guys have that weekend booked off. I certainly do. Really looking forward to it. You can feel the Olympic atmosphere and Olympic hype just starting to begin. And the next few pools I'm going to cover are going to be real juicy. There are some tough matchups in pools C and D. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and I hope you have a good week. Thanks. Thank you.